Hey everyone, welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Just a quick note before today's episode. This summer, we're completing our series of introduction videos with our final season of filming, and we still need to raise about $30,000 to cover those costs, and we would love you to help us with that. And you can do that by visiting the Spoken Gospel website and clicking on Donate. And by doing that, you can contribute to bringing books like the Book of Revelation to life. And whether that's through a one-time gift or a monthly donation, your support makes all the difference in the world. So thank you so much and enjoy today's podcast. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to the idea that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Every episode, hosts David Bowden and Seth Stewart work through a biblical text to see how it helps us see and savor Jesus. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Welcome. And uh, we are very excited to be diving into the book of Ecclesiastes. Where nothing matters. Where nothing matters. <laughs> we, we've done an introduction episode where we've covered like really broad strokes of like what is wisdom literature? What is wisdom itself? Uh, what are some of the big conceptual categories How we should be talking about? How does Ecclesiastes function yeah. within the wisdom literature? Yes. Yes. And then we've dipped our toes in the water of Hevel, the author. Yes. Um, like, and by Hevel, I mean the word vanity or meaninglessness mm-hmm. or to- or uh, futility, however your Bible translates it. Yeah. Uh, we've dipped our toe in the water of under the sun and of eat and drink for tomorrow we die and all that kind of stuff. But like, we it's, have time not, to, it's time to get in the weeds. It's time to get in the weeds. It's time to get in the weeds. So, uh, yeah. And I'm really excited about this book. Yes. Uh, for a lot of reasons. It's one of the most difficult books I've ever had to mm-hmm. like wrestle with. And I'm also excited for the way that you'll experience me and David in this podcast. Yeah. Uh, because we said last time that the two mistakes that people make when they come to the book of Ecclesiastes is they either want to read Kohelet, the author of Ecclesiastes, either as a pessimist or a nihilist, just everything's terrible all the time, always. There's nothing good to do except that you drink and tomorrow we die. Yep. Or they want to read it too optimistically and naively and say, everything's great. Yeah. See, look, yeah, like he found a way to just eat and drink and be merry in the midst of all this meaninglessness he saw. So you, no matter any of the bad stuff you see in the world, no, should just no be able to sweep it under the rug. No matter how bad your senior is, just, right. just enjoy, enjoy it. that last French class. Carpe diem, yeah. baby. <laughs> yeah. So mm-hmm. those are the two mistakes. Right. And so what Ecclesiastes wants you to do is wrestle with the promises of God, the goodness of God, and the meaninglessness in the chaos of this life. That's right. And the other thing it wants you to do is it's wanting it's wanting to take the rigid, seemingly rigid promises of Proverbs and yeah. wisdom literature as a whole, which says, if you do good, you'll be blessed. If you do bad, you'll be cursed. Right. And it wants to take that and just shove it out into the world and say, like, does it work under the sun? Like... Yeah. Does this really work in real life? Do good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people? Or does that break down? Yes. And it, it does. It breaks it, down. We all know it breaks down. We all know it breaks down. Yeah. And what, I lo- what I'm really excited about is you'll ex- David and I kind of land on either side of the nihilistic, we're kind, optimistic. Yeah, well, we're spec- kind of in the middle. We're both in the middle, but I lean more pessimistically. And I lean a little bit more optimistically. Right. And I think we're, we're not going to try to solve that tension nope. by saying, no, no, you need to see it my way, which is sometimes something we do. But we're just going to let you experience our differing perspectives because i think that's what ecclesiastes is inviting you to do like how do you engage faithfully in a world 
of Hevel, mm-hmm. of a, a world of smoke. Yep. Um, so that's, we'll get there in a second. Yes. So before we say that, who wrote Ecclesiastes and why is it important? Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's a couple, there's a couple traditions, broadly speaking, I'm going to speak as broadly as possible. There is the, I would call it the extremely conservative position of which I am not far from. Right. I would say. Okay. That says Solomon wrote it. It makes a lot of sense that Solomon would write this book. I mean, uh, he's a wise man who asked for wisdom and got it. He's uh, called in, himself the son of David, a king in Jerusalem. Yeah, so he's a son of David. Yeah, in in, uh, in in chapter 1, verse 12, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. It's like, well, he's the, a son of David who's wise, who's a king. The life he narrates seems awfully seems similar. Very similar to some of the things Solomon did. Yep. So like there is... If you want to believe that Solomon wrote this book, which I kind of do, mm-hmm. I'll just show my cards, uh, then that's great. But it would just be, ir- I just, I would, me and Seth were talking and I was like, it would be irresponsible of us to just say that's who wrote it. Because one, he's not actually named in the book. Nope. Uh, and two, there's just too many scholars out there that we trust that don't endorse that view. And, so, and, and three, and more importantly than all of those, is that's not the name that the book yes. itself gives us that it wants us to attach meaning to. Right. So e- even at the end of Ecclesiastes in 12.9, uh, you have this like third party that comes in and says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. So it could be Solomon. Yep. Or it could be somebody looking at all of Solomon's writings or the wisdom literature mm-hmm. in general and combining them at a much later date. Right. But the important part is is the author never identifies himself purposely. He doesn't call himself Solomon. He calls himself Kohelet, Mm -hmm. or the preacher, or the teacher. And that's significant because, like we said back in the introduction, that has these really, in the biblical story, at important points in Israel's history, very specific people are called the Kohelet. Mm -hmm. They're normally the leaders of Israel, kingly priestly leaders, judges, people within Israel at specific moments of rescue and salvation. Yes. So Israel, uh, sorry, uh, Moses was a Kohelet as Mm -hmm. he led them out of of Egypt. Jacob, the son of Abraham, or the grandson of Abraham, Mm -hmm. birthed the Kahal of Israel, the community, the gathered ones of Israel. Kohelet means, we should probably say that again, it means the convener or the gatherer, Mm -hmm. and a Kahal is the gathered people. Yes. And so Uh, David was a Koheler. He Mm -hmm. gathered the Kahal of Israel. Yes. Yeah. So like again and again and again. And so so there's there's this paradigm of a kingly leader who gathers together and instructs the people of God in wisdom. In wisdom. Yeah. Uh, whether that's Moses giving the Torah or this person here. Or even <laughs> the pastor of your church. So ecclesi- ecclesi- an, an ecclesiology. An ecclesiology means the study of the church. An ecclesia is a church. An ecclesiastes is the preacher of the church. Yes. So that's where the, this name comes from. That's the, that's where the, it's the Greek translation of Kahal or yeah. Kohelet. Yeah. yeah. It's a ga- the, gather, the gathering. Yeah, the gathering the and one. the gatherer and yeah. the wise one who's yes. dispensing wisdom. Exactly. So that's so like that's what we need to know. And, right. and immediately it should set up an expectation for us. Right. And the expectation is that this wisdom isn't just for the people of Israel mm-hmm. as one more Kahaler in a long string of Kahalers. This is like messianic Kahaling, messianic gathered wisdom Which for is, yeah. more people than just its original audience. And I would say we, we know that because of the anonymity. Yes. I would say the anonymity of the author 
identifying himself conceptually as the Kahaler, who no one does in all of Scripture except him. Right. Um, He's tapping into yes, a Hebrew a tradition. And a, a tradition and a Hebrew imagination who knows, like, Kahalers are important people. They're wise, important people. They speak to the whole nation, mm-hmm. and they ch- instruct us on the right way to see the world and act in the world. Yes. So, yeah, so we should be expecting that with all the questions left unanswered in Ecclesiastes, that there would be a new final Kahaler to bring the people of God, the Kahal, the Ecclesia of God together and and answer these questions. Yes. And Ecclesiastes expects that person to come. He expects yes. the justice of God to come, which we'll talk about in a later episode. Yeah. So. That's exactly right. That's all, all we can, that's maybe not all we should say, but it's all we can say, really. Right. Uh, at least we this, feel comfortable saying. That we feel comfortable <laughs> saying. So that's, that's very good. So that's the author. That's the author. And... His main point mm-hmm. of the book is that the world yep. is hevel. It's vanity. It's futile, futile. It's meaningless. And I think I think we can we can sharpen the knife on that a little bit. Okay. We can we can narrow the point. He he asks the question. He, he sets out his thesis statement. Okay. Like his uh, abstract at the top of a paper. Okay. What are you going to write about? And he says in verse three, "What does man gain?" By all the toil at which he toils under the sun. That's his that's the question mm-hmm. Ecclesiastes is trying to answer. And before it is the answer itself. So he says, Vanity vanity, Hevel Hevelim, right, which is a superlative, mm-hmm. right? Best of the best is what this is. Mm-hmm. Hevel Hevelim. Vanity of vanities. Futi- of. Futility of futilities. Smoke all of smoke. Is futility. Everything is futile. And right. let's talk about that three for a second. Okay, yes. So yes. The, another reason why, besides the fact that it's the thesis statement, is remember, we have a very wise, intelligent person writing this. So Very much so. There's actually 200, precisely 222 verses in Ecclesiastes. And it is divided into two parts of and, 111. And before before people go, the verses were added later. Right. You have to, th- this was Hebrew poetry that actually did have structure to it. Yes. So, so, there's so like, yes, you're right that normally you wouldn't want to be even thinking about verses because they right. were added much later. This is different. But there's okay. 222 <clears throat> poetic couplets. There you go. And right in the middle at 111, you have a s- significant break in topic between the two sections. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating. Right in the middle. Right, <laughs> right in the middle, you have a repetition <clears throat> of this phrase, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And even more fascinatingly, the word hevel in Hebrew has a numerical value. Mm-hmm. So I forget what the name is. Gematrion? What's the name? Yeah, of, yeah Gematrion. Gematrion. Essentially. Hebrew, num- Hebrew numerology. Right. So every letter in Hebrew is also a number. Yes. So like we, we, like, you have, we just did the escape room where yes. there's like every letter is also a number. So yeah. A, a is, is one, one, B is yeah. two, uh, C is three. Yeah. Anyway. The numerical value of the word hevel is 37. And twice, actually three times in the book, you have the same phrase repeated. Hevel of hevel, everything is hevel. 37 times 3 is 111, <laughs> which is like, okay, that sounds a little strange, but it's not. 37 is the numerical value of hevel times 3, which, which we're is- told three times to multiply it by 3, gets us halfway. And... The word hevel is used exactly 37 times in yes. the entire book. That is what, that's the clincher. That's the clincher. 37 times he uses a 37 numerical value word to total up to the number of, of couplets in the in yes. the book. It's, it's it's ridiculous. It's crazy how brilliant this yes. mind was. And, and, and there's a point to this. This yes. isn't just to go like, 
Isn't that dope? Like, Da Vinci Code, y'all. Like, no. The point is that there's a literary point being made Mm -hmm. with this. That inside a book of smoke and misunderstanding and uh, a lack of structure and a lack of reliability, Mm -hmm. there's structure. There's a solidity. And intentionality and solidity. There's a solidity inside the Hevel itself. Which I believe bucks against people who want to say that this, that Ecclesiastes are just the... Um, sad musings of an old man who right. just was rambling and he's sad. No, he's calculated and careful and he crafted this book. He's over... used math, guys. He's used math. <laughs> now, and, and like, and we should not be surprised. Like That would take a brilliant literary mind to do that. Well, we're told if this is Solomon that there was never a man wiser. Right. He asked for divine wisdom and got it from Yahweh. So like, yes. yeah, he was super smart. He was really <laughs> smart. So I yeah. try to think of like ways to make a book like doing something similar in English. I'm yes. like, I have no, I don't even how know how, I how even to do that. start. Yeah. Like if the main point of my book was fruit, yeah. I don't even know how to like make fruit so integral to the thing <laughs> that it's like also secret and hidden. Like, I was like, I have no idea how to do this thing. Anyway, it's brilliant. Yes. And there's, inside, so what is Hevel? So if Hevel is that central. Yes, if Hevel's that central, we should understand what it is. So I think we said in the introduction that the prime two primary metaphors that is used uh, in Ecclesiastes wind is wind striving after wind. Like, yeah, can you chase after wind? Can you grab wind? Can you put wind can, in a bottle? No, no. Do you know where it comes from, or where it's going, or why it's here? No, no. And if and the other one is smoke, which is not in the text I was itself. Like, yeah, that's not in the text. But it's what the word literally means. So if you have sometimes, sometimes I'm going to push against you on that a little bit. It's it, not like, in the text, and it's not what the word always literally means. But it's helpful in <laughs> it's the It's a helpful image. That smoke, I wouldn't put it on the same plane as wind. Smoke and wind yeah. are both things that are there and are, and not, are not there. there. <laughs> smoke looks solid. And you can reach out. I can reach out and grab it. And as soon as you do, it's gone. It slips through your fingers. Wind can tear off roofs. Yes. It can decimate homes. Yeah. It can destroy beaches. But you cannot catch it in a bottle. Nope. Wind is there. And, and it there. is not there. Yep. It's like, so some of the, our friends at the Bible Project call it uh, an enigma. It's mm-hmm. a puzzle. It's an expectation that's constantly unmet. Yes. Um, and what Kohelet is saying is that the wisdom that he, the central point that he wants to make is that life on this earth is like that. Mm-hmm. It's a series of unmet expectations. It looks like one thing, but always turns out to be another. That no yep. matter what we work to achieve, it always underperforms for yes. us. Now, it never gives yeah. us what we desire. Now, without, and we're going to do this throughout the, the rest of this series. I'm not going to say that I don't agree with Seth. I do, but mm-hmm. I'm going to highlight the other side yes. of what Hevel means. So when you look at the question, what does man gain by all his toil at which he toils under the sun? And like smoke would be a really good answer to that. Like, yeah. I feel like I had a house and a family and... I, you know, had a promotion and, you know, made a legacy for myself. Now it's smoke. You thought it was there and it's really not. You know, but another way to look at it, which is how your Bibles are probably translating it, is vanity or meaninglessness or fut- I, my favorite's futility. That it's just, it's futile. It has no bottom. Like, yeah. it, do, it can't hold. You know, you're pouring water into a bucket without a bottom. Yeah, It's just futile. Like, what's the point? And it, it is supposed to be that, like, and you'll see this. You'll see this cumulative argument build multiple times throughout the book and then come crashing down. He'll go, I compared wisdom and folly. And we're going to read that here in a little bit. I compared wisdom and folly. And I realized that, you know, it's probably better to be wise. But in the end, both the wise and the fool both die. Hevel. 
Hevel. It's that's so. What was the point of my wisdom? It was meaningless. It was futile, wasn't it? Yeah. And there's like, no. There was no real. It was benefit. Yeah, benefit. To so it. so the word. So like yeah. So yeah, yeah, so toil, toil there is a. Um, you mean in verse three? What does man? Three. So if you're you're because you're saying one of the central questions of the book of Ecclesiastes. Well, what do we do with our life on this earth? What does man gain? What does man by gain all, by all the yes. toil at which he toils under the so sun? So this question is is using. Uh, economic language. So gain is this idea of profit. Mm -hmm. And so like what, at the end of the day, what could I put on my ledger sheet at the end of my life that I said, I did something with my life? Yeah. Like what could I gain? Nothing. You can spend your whole life doing everything you want. And at the end, it's a net zero. And it should point you back to the Garden of Eden from the word toil. Correct. This is what God cursed man with he's like you will toil on the ground and so he's like he's going like he's describing the cursed world this is the cursed world he is describing yeah outside the garden of eden all of our efforts dissolve net zero yeah i mean and think about it what does god say in that same curse from the ground you came to the dirt you will return from the dirt you came to the dirt you will return and that's repeated here in ecclesiastes exactly right from dust to dust it's it's vanity you came from the dust you'll return to the dust you're going to toil it's going to get you right back where you came from that's his it. conclusion. Yep. He's okay. observing the curse. That's yes. really interesting. I think yeah. that's helpful. Yeah. I think that, that, and we talked a little bit about the Garden of Eden mm-hmm. in our introduction. Yeah. I think it's interesting that Ecclesiastes is observing life under the, under the curse, mm-hmm. but giving us a glimpse of what life could look like back in Eden. Yes. That's okay. exactly right. And like even uh, kind of like the, the promised land kind of ideas, like this is what your life could look like in the middle of a cursed world. That's right. As well. Yes. Not just what it will look like when the when Lord returns, but what does the good life look like in the middle of a cursed world? What is a part the kingdom come, but mm-hmm. not yet? Yes. Like what already not yet. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. So we got his question and his conclusion, mm-hmm. but let's actually figure out how we actually got there. Okay, so we've heard Kohelet's initial question that that he's going to try to answer in this book, which is, what does man gain by all his toil at which he toils under the sun? And we've heard his answer to that question. It's like, book over. No. (laughs) And he gives the question, vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. It's all smoke. It's all chasing after the wind. Okay. Uh, How does he then introduce us to, like, get on board with his argument and his conclusion? What he does is he kind of makes you take stock of what you already know about the natural world mm-hmm. and how it behaves. He's like, look around. I'm going to prove it to you that just by the observable way the world works, that everything is meaningless. So, like, let's look at some of them. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Basically, human legacies all die, but the ground is still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sun rises and the sun goes down. It hastens to the place where it rises. So it's like it goes up, it comes down, yep. and it comes back right around again. Like it's a cycle, cycle over, over. Nothing ever moves. Nothing rotates. Nothing moves forward. It's the same thing over every time. Nothing. Yep. The wind blows to the south, and then comes around to the north, and around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits, the wind returns. It's just a cycle. It's a cycle. Yeah. Everything is the same. All streams run to the sea but the sea is never full. I think this is one of my favorite it's ones. It's a good one. Because it gets to like the point he makes a little bit later, yes. but nothing satisfying. Nothing right. actually gives you what you want. All streams run to the sea. And have you noticed the sea never fills up yep. to the place where the streams flow? And if you go all the way back 
up to the source of the streams, they just all start flowing. They never stop. Right. Everything's this cyclical pattern of incessant repetition. Yeah. And it's like you're trapped in Groundhog Day. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Groundhog Day. It's just like everything's the same over and over and over again. And if everything's the same and it can't change and it can't fill up and it can't alter, then it's vanity. It's futile. And he says it this way. I, I love this line too. And all things are full of weariness. Yes. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear satisfied with hearing. It's like, it's like the world is weary. Yeah. It's like, could you imagine doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over right. and over and over again? Yeah. Of course you can. It's exhausting. It's, exhausting. it's beyond our comprehension. And that's the way we live. Yeah. Now, aren't you tired yeah. all the time? Aren't you tired all the time? Isn't it when somebody asks you how you're doing, you say you're busy and you're tired and those two answers never change? Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. Um, what's interesting here is how Kohelet goes out of his way to use images and the way he talks about those images to counteract probably his dad, David, oh, and how he wrote about them in the Psalms. Oh. It's very interesting. So li- listen to so some of these. If this is Solomon, he's like rebuking If this his is Solomon, father. he's rebuking his own father's wow. literature. Okay, okay, this is very okay, interesting. Okay. Psalm 19.5, the sun is a strong man running its race with vigor. Right, it's like it's got a point. It's a strong man. It sets out in the sky. Like he's conquering something. And it every causes day. it causes David to rejoice in God and see Him in His handiwork and His purposes all throughout Psalm 19. Mm. And he says, "No, it's just this weary. It's it, it wearily pants is the is another translation. It wearily pants toward a pointless cycle." Wow. Okay. Psalm 104, three to four. God directs the wind as His messenger to accomplish His purposes. Ecclesiastes 1 6, 6, the wind goes around and around in monotonous repetition with no purpose stated. Psalm 104, 10 to 11, rivers are sent to give animals drinks and grow grass, and they're sent by God. Ecclesiastes 1 to 7, rivers don't accomplish anything. <laughs> <laughs> so everything that David saw purpose, intention, life in, his son is saying, Dad, it's, Dad, Dad, come on, Dad. Okay, boomer. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. Yeah. And what is like, what a, what, like a classic son response, isn't it? But also really true at the same time. Like whereas dad saw purpose, he's saying, but the other side of that coin is, is it really purposeful if it happens every day on repeat? Yes. Which this, this is biblical wisdom, right? Because you need both sides or you're not wise. Hmm. Like you need to be able to look at a son you know, not directly. Yeah, <laughs> and and see the power and purpose of God mm-hmm. and provision, and that it's just the right distance away. Like you need yeah. to know those things, but you also need to see that like the sun's decaying and it's cyclical, and we're we're heading towards a terminus, and everything has entropy. Like, yeah, you need both to be wise, yeah. and he's you need David and Solomon, if you will. That's interesting. Heads and tails. I like that. So anyway, I like that. and then with the. The you know you have the speech eyes and ears pointed out mm-hmm. in one eight, uh, and he says the mouth can't say enough, the eyes can't see enough, the ears can't hear enough. It seems that the very grounding for this whole book is said to be wearisome and futile from the outset. Because what does he use to write? He's using his speech right right to say what his eyes have seen and his ears have heard, and he's like even this very book is not going to be able to accomplish the purpose of what I feel because. They're weary already, 
And I can't even tell you how empty I am because my mouth can never say enough to express it. Like, so it's like after verse eight, you're like, just close the book, right? <laughs> What's the point? But it is, it's just very, and everything is rushing towards changeless oblivion. Like, yeah. That's a great way to start a book. That is a great way to start the book. And what's fascinating, even like scientific methodology or scientific like theories up until this, I think the 50s, mm -hmm. 40s or 50s, was that the universe was eternal. Right. It's, it was it like yeah. that the fact that it had a beginning felt like a concession to theists who were saying, if it has a beginning, God must have started it. So yeah. the, the reigning theory for a long time was like the universe is just eternal. Yeah. It's static unmoving or if it is moving it's just slowly moving in one direction and never changing and right and now we have all these concepts of entropy and everything like right that. Yeah, yeah. yeah so uh wh why is this important and more more importantly i think we know why it's important for ecclesiastes he's mm -hmm. setting up his theme he's saying he's about to tell us his own experience yeah, he's so about he, to walk us through his own pragmatic experience and say i discovered this for myself but you should know this just by looking through the world. Right. You can look at the world and see the futility, see like the judgment yeah. of God in right. the fact that not just God's purposes, but his judgment on your yeah. weary life. But why is it important for the gospel? Like, mm -hmm. why is this important for the gospel? Like immediately what comes to my mind is good news. Cause like, I'm just like, I need some good news yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Is like, when I think about everything's a cycle, nothing accomplishes anything. Everything gets old and dies and it starts again, but it's, you, you don't get to be a part of it. You know, it's like everything's heading towards entropy and it's meaningless and pointless. I just think of several things. One, okay. I think about the storyline of the Bible itself okay, and how it is cyclical. The Old Testament is cyclical, right? Yeah. It keeps repeating the same story of like God's grace and he, is, he tries to work with his people. They fall away. So he punishes them and then brings them back. And it's just over. It's the Garden of Eden yeah. over and over and over and over again. It's the Exodus over and over. And, over. and then... This man, Jesus, comes and he fulfills all the cycles and the cycles stop. Like they find their peace in him. All the promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ. Like he stops the meaningless worrying wheels yeah. of like the, the trap we've set for ourselves that we can't get out of. I like the way I th when I read this, I thought about Romans 8. Mm. We know the whole world has been groaning. Yes. It's tired it's a, it's a weary world it's exhausted at the cyclical labor pains that happen mm -hmm. and what Kohelet's pointing at like what Kohelet, i think maybe another way to say what Kohelet's doing is like this groaning mm -hmm. should point us to the old the what we need yes the sun the sun like the sun like the, the god coming yes but like, i think like this is what i thought of like the world is weary the world is groaning and it's waiting for the redemption, the adoption of the sons of God. Yes. It's waiting for the Lord to be revealed mm. on the earth. Mm -hmm. The whole world is smoke. We need something solid. solid. That's yeah. what we need. Uh, and I think you're primed for that. If the world is pointless, we need, if the world is smoke, if the world is all wind, we need something that can't be moved. Mm -hmm. We need a rock. We need something solid. Yes. And that's what he... That's what I think Ecclesiastes is calling us to want. Yes. I've heard people make that point before and I've not found it compelling, but I think it's true. Like Ecclesiastes wa is, wants to make us want something. Yes. And I think that's it. Solidity in a world mm -hmm. of chaos. Yes. Stabil like a talos, like an end point yep. in a world that's always cyclical. Yes. Um, Which I think is, is what's amazing about the gospel story is Jesus comes and he goes to this place that is the great equalizer of Ecclesiastes, that everything's headed towards entropy. He goes to entropy's utter end. He goes to mm -hmm. the grave. 
and he raises to life and breaks the cycle. Yes. But then points us forward to a future. And when that future comes, what's disrupted all throughout Jesus's ministry when he talks apocalyptically, what's in the prophets, what's in Revelation, what's in Second Thessalonians, like yeah. the natural order, this cycle of the natural order that is incessantly grinding to a halt, right? Yeah. Is just interrupted. And there's no longer any moon, or there's no longer any yeah. star, oh, like, no any yeah, sun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sun goes away, and we don't need lamps or light or anything like that. We don't need the sea anymore, like right. the, which is this chaos monster that the Old Testament loves to talk about, represented as the sea. Anyway, Jesus comes, and he is our light every second of every day. And this cycle that never goes anywhere finally finds shalom and peace and rest and like, in just yeah. the presence of Jesus with us in the new heavens and the new earth. And what's funny about that, and we'll get here in just a moment, is like us, the, the author, Kohelet Solomon, talks about the futility, the circularity of life as meaningless. But like eternity, mm. like living forever, well, isn't that just an endless cycle of it's things? It's not, but it's not, right? It wouldn't be... Isn't it, eternal life an endless cycle? And that's why it, people don't want to be a part of it. Right. Like yeah. So many people don't want to be a part of eternal life. Like, well, if it's just this all because over again... Because people can only conceive of eternity as a circularity, hmm. right? Which would seem futile. Right. But it's like in Jesus, it's one holy moment. Like... <laughs> Yeah. Or it's some concept of it's like, linearness it's, that we can't. And we're going to talk about our broken relationship with time when we get to Ecclesiastes oh, 3. I'm so excited. It's so, it's so good. Okay. We, I think we've covered this. We've section. covered this. Let's move on. Let's move on. Okay, so after Kohelet invites us to see the vanity, the futility, the to hevel. See, to see the world through his eyes. <laughs> yeah, he, he invites us then to look at his own life yep. as further proof yes. that the world is fully hevel. And the way that he does that isn't by just showing you a sad story. It's by running a series of experiments. Yes. So here's what he says in verse 13. Uh, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom everything that is done under heaven. So he's using all this divine wisdom to figure out the world underneath him. And then he concludes, it is an unhappy business that, the, that God has given to his children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold, it's all hevel, a striving after the wind. Yes. So he's going, yeah. So he's inviting us into this experiment that he's going to do. Like, Here's all the things I did under the sun. Yeah. So he's about to, in, we're about to enter into basically what is his autobiography. He's going to tell us about different things he went and did. But one thing that we need to talk about before we jump in there, because this is like a really intense statement for, he, for him to say that it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Like, I thought God was like good and wanted to right. give us good things. And like, we'll get there, yeah. obviously. But it's like, this seems to be his conclusion. Um, and here's why this conclusion is bleak, but also not as bleak as it seems. It's because he set his wisdom to search out what happens under heaven or under the sun, mm -hmm. which is, it, this is a huge statement. In, yeah. So we, we, how many times was Hevel used? 30, 37. 37. Under the sun um, is used 29 times, not counting its parallels like under heaven. So it's like yeah. almost used just as much. Yeah. So under the sun is this very, or upon the earth, under heaven, is used constantly throughout the book to point to a limiting factor 
that Kohelet has put on his experiment. So if you go watch our Spoken Gospel introduction video on this, you'll see this kind of professor walk up to a chalkboard and draw a line through the middle of the chalkboard. And it's like he's limiting his vision to what only happens under the sun. And what I mean by that is we have to understand uh, the, the Hebrew mind and how it viewed cosmology, like the heavens and the earth. Like this is... So it's useful. It's like a metaphor for yes. how he's actually functioning. So really, there was the heavens. There was the heavens and the earth. Yes, and there was that. Yeah, that's right. There was the heavens, which was like where the stars are, which they, which a lot of people believe to be divine beings right. or gods. That's yeah. where God lives. That's where God. That's where the gods live. Yeah. And then there's the highest heavens, which, which is, is where Yahweh lived. Right. So there's three layers. Yeah, and then on the earth, on the earth, yeah, is everything is else. where we are. And he goes, I'm going to just look down. Right. And I'm going to see, can this make sense? Can I make Mm. sense of this world without looking up to heaven? Which is actually really fascinating because in our worldview, that's so common. Mm -hmm. There's, uh, I think we could talk about like, uh, somebody said like there's a brass dome over the heavens. Mm. For like a modern mind, all there ever is, is what's on the earth. Right. And there's no divine intervention ever. But for the ancient mind, that brass dome never existed no like there is was a permeability a a permeability like every physical action was tied by a puppet string to some spiritual force in the heavens and everything on the earth had a spiritual counterpart in the heavens yes so for Kohelet to come along and sever those strings with a knife yes and just say nope i'm just gonna look at under heaven it's like wait what it's actually a pretty radical radical like a type of piece of literature for the time period at all. Yes. One nuance I'll add to that is not like he forgets there's a God. No. It's We mentioned this in the introduction. Like what that can make it sound like is like, well, we have now an ancient secularist who refuses to acknowledge God. No. He's taking the evidence at hand without reference to God and then says, this is why th- this doesn't make sense without God. And right. He says it over and over again. Mm-hmm. Like heaven must break down for this to make sense. Heaven yeah. must break down for this to make That's sense. Right. Like, yeah. And he'll give us those little peaks up into heaven be like, mm-hmm. you know what? God is going to do this. But then what he never does is he never brings God down under heaven or on, onto the earth to solve the problem. Not until the last verse. Uh, with right? In the epilogue? Yeah, yeah. Which the, isn't him, which isn't Kohelet. Oh, the the editor. That, that's the editor, yeah, which yeah. is, so my, my point stands. Right. Well, the yeah. point of the book. But the point of the book, but I'm saying yes. Kohelet as a character. Yes, yes, yes. He, he has this constant goal, and I think it's a good goal, to show us that, like, unless you allow God to actually come in and affect the way you view life, it's everything's going to be meaningless. Yes. And yeah. so the first experiment he does. The first experiment is wisdom specifically. Wisdom in and of itself. Yes. Uh, and he says, uh, I applied, verse 17, I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. Yes. And I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. Such a strange statement. Because if you if you were approaching this from the mindset of, say, the authors of Proverbs, right? it's... Pursue wisdom, love wisdom, be intimate with wisdom, walk with wisdom, right? Right. And it's like, stay away from folly. Don't think about it. Don't look at it. Don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Yeah. Like, And what Kohelet's saying is... I'm going to run after both of them. And I'm going to do both with wisdom. I'm going to pursue wisdom with wisdom, and I'm going to analyze folly with wisdom. He's and, not... No, no, no. He's not just going to analyze. He's going to entwine himself with folly mm-hmm. wisely. Because he does. He's about to tell us how he does that. And I want to qualify that word wisely. Because if we are talking oh, about yes. Solomon yeah. as the wisest person, mm-hmm. what we mean by wisely is almost like 
exhaustively because think about Solomon's life. He like, we, we're about to describe his self-indulgent lifestyle mm-hmm. and he has hundred thousand concubines, yep. 700, se- or like something. dozens yeah. and dozens of wives. And so p- to pursue that many women with wisdom is, ca- is actually counter to what the Bible calls wisdom, right? Because wisdom would be to have one wife. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. But there's a difference between a holy wisdom that, mm-hmm. is, that, that shares God's mind. Yes. Right. And an earthly craftiness yes. that understands how to uh, short the stock market. Yes. Right. Like that's like, that's, yeah. that's some wisdom, but it's yeah. not holy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's almost if, if he's taking the gift that God has given him. And using it for folly. And using it for folly. Correct. And so what that means is, mm-hmm. is that he is uniquely positioned to examine folly, entwine himself with folly, and see its brokenness and its and its blessings, if there are any, so, yeah. most objectively. Well, and I think another thing to say is if, if he was going to pursue folly wisely, he is going to do it better than anyone. I feel like people would be like, you know, like, oh, sure, money doesn't satisfy, but you don't know how to spend money right. Right. It's yeah. like if I had the money, I would buy better wine and, uh, or, or, or like, sorry. I'd invest it smarter. Yes. I'd build better. Right. My legacy like, no, would no, be no, no, longer. No. I'd no have one, foundations. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no one pursued folly better than Kohelet. That's like, the point he's making. That's the point he's making. He's like, guys, there is the best life you could possibly live. I had more money than anyone, more opulence than anyone, more power than anyone. I could do anything I wanted, and we'll see. As we talk about pleasure, I gave it. I gave myself to it fully. Mm-hmm. Let's just name. Yeah. So, so he said. So wisdom. He's yep. like, I did this with wisdom, and he said, with much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases in knowledge increases sorrow. Yes. So he says the pursuit of wisdom is only ever going to make you sad yes. and actually doesn't pick up this theme for a while but like it's like it's like wisdom doesn't deliver the way that you think it is that's right and i think there's people who like idolize intellect idolize philosophy philosophy that's right uh, and philosophy just means loving wisdom yeah a lover of wisdom right but if you love wisdom in and of itself terminally mm-hmm. it is hevel it's Hevel. It yeah. just produces... You That's think right. it's going to bring you happiness and enlightenment? Yep. It just brings mm-hmm. sorrow. Wisdom under the sun, mm-hmm. right, never atta- uh, attaches you back to he who is the wisest. Yeah. Like, wisdom is meant to lead you to intimacy with God. And to just pursue wisdom, to know how to act perfectly in every situation, is still completely it's, futile. It's like in The Good Place, the, the, the AB, NBC... Yeah. Uh, comedy cheaty is a moral philosopher right and the joke throughout the entire series is moral philosophers are the worst people to hang out with <laughs> because like no like they spend their whole life studying what to do and what is right and he's paralyzed he can't make a decision he can never make his decisions because he's always running through all the possible ways that you could justify one action with or more another. with more wisdom came maddening folly that's exactly the right. smarter he became, the more crippled he became to make any kind of decision whatsoever. Which is why they say, the more you know, the more you know that you don't know. Yes. Right? Yeah. The more I, when like, which is why, like, we'll read, you know, between the two of us, like, four to eight books mm-hmm. before we jump into a podcast. And that's what, that's what we go, man, there's some diverse opinions on here. But if we read even wider, especially outside of maybe evangelical circles, yeah. you know, which we'll do occasionally, we realize, like, whoa, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah, and like, yeah. you almost want to stop because you're like, I'll never be able to think through this at all if I let every mm-hmm. single voice who's ever thought about this speak into it. Right. It's just like, yeah. it would be maddening folly. Yeah. And so it's like, even in Bible study, yeah. if that was my point was to perfectly know the Bible, I would, I, it would every be... Every possible interpretation. It would be maddening every, folly. Yeah. I'd never be able to do it. 
Under the sun. Under the sun. But if I was using it to connect to God. So like, anyway, let's right. let's think about like pursuing wisdom, right? Mm-hmm. And maddening folly. And like, why, like, how do we see the gospel in this? Oh, okay. Like, I mean, we talked in the introduction, which I thought was like one of the most helpful times I've ever thought about this, uh, um, as pursuing wisdom is pursuing Christ. To get wisdom is to get Christ. Yes. And so like, we, I, I think maybe it's just simplest to say, when you're pursuing wisdom, like when you want to know what God wants of you, when you want to read your Bible, when you want to better yourself or sharpen your mind, what's the, what's the point? What are you aiming at? Well, I would say right? log that question away yep. because Kohelet gives you an answer to that question at the end of the other two experiments. Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. Right. So that's the, that's the keep that question in your mind. Okay. What are we supposed to do with all this Hevel? Yes. How are we supposed to pursue? What are we supposed to do in a with, world of Hevel? Yes. Uh, so if wisdom can't do it, well, what about pleasure? Yes, which I've, we've hinted at now a little bit. Yeah. And it's a long list. It's a long list. Of the accomplishments he was able to do in his lifetime. He's got, you know, those rappers who like go to hotels and do like crazy hotel bills. And like, I've seen like stat sheets of like, how many hotel rooms has this rapper ruined? Oh my gosh. Like how many (laughs) millions of dollars have they spent on room service? It's like, this is his hotel bill. This is his stat sheet. (laughs) He has completed great works. He has multiple homes, multiple vineyards, gardens, parks, orchards, irrigations, servants to attend his every need. Cattle and ranch land, silver, gold. The best singers and songwriters entertain him alone. He has political power and he's seen as a sex god. Like this is his. He's the king of Vegas. He's the king of Vegas. <laughs> uh, what's his name? Uh, Howard Hughes. Do you know who that oh, is? Oh, yes. So he, I mean, he broke the land speed record. Yep. It's a movie star. Millions of dollars. Had like a beautiful home in LA. He was Kohelet. He yeah. was Solomon. Uh, you know, mo- like a quarter of him. A quarter of him. He yeah. was, he was he wishes. Like, he was this epic figure yes. in the American imagination for a period of time. And what Kohelet says at the very end is all vanity. Yep. And Howard Hughes was a big TV star, right? Or movie star. Mm-hmm. And the last decade of his life, he became severely depressed, addicted to codeine, and he would just watch his old movies over and over and over again. All that wealth led him to just being comatose watching his old wealth mm-hmm. <laughs> in his own status. Yep. It was vanity. Yep. It's like a real life picture. I mean we have a real life picture here in Kohala yes, as we well, do. but like vanity. Yep. He had the he had the best food, the best house, the best sex, the best wine, uh, the most prestige. I mean, a lot of these things that are listed are things associated either with kings or gods in the ancient Near East. Mm. So like vineyards and statues and temples and palaces. Like these are things that were built for gods. Like yeah. these are things that would be commissioned for the gods. And he the, lived as a, like a god on earth. And think about Solomon's story in particular. Yes. His own house was more opulent than the temple. Exactly right. He outshone Yahweh on earth. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and it was vanity. And so he, he goes to verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and all the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He got it all. He got it all and had nothing. And had nothing. It was like smoke. It was like trying to catch wind in a bottle. Like yep. It was there and it wasn't there. Unmet expectations. What do you think it is about pleasure, wealth, status in particular? That is that 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 makes it such a good liar. 
because ev everyone will hear these stories. These are not old stories. Movies are made about this, you know, where it's like, oh, a family man and he has a, he has three kids and his life's crazy and it's a small house and he wishes it was bigger, but he's got the kids. And then he like has a dream and he's the CEO and he's single and has all the women. Mm -hmm. But then all he wants to do is go back to his old life. Like this is yeah. like a normal story we're used to hear. Yeah, we yeah, know yeah. even Hollywood quote unquote knows right. that wealth doesn't satisfy. Right. Mm -hmm. But why do we all think that we'll be the exception one or why do we then pursue it still? Why do I still want to be famous even though I know fame won't satisfy me? Why do I still want more money even though I know I don't need it? Like it's right. It, why I, is it such a good lie? I mean, I think what Kohelet did by choice, we do by default. We only ever look below the sun. Mm. We only ever look down, yeah. and so it's like we we have a looking up would, is painful. It's painful to look at the sun, and so we don't. Yeah. We look at the life on the ground and say this. There's got to be something here. This is what I can see. I can touch it. I can feel it. I can see it. Mm -hmm. It must be able to provide. And, he, and what he's saying is, what I did by choice, you do by nature. And haven't you noticed yet that it's not working out? Yeah. Everything that's actually solid turns into smoke. And maybe the reason sex, money, and power are so power, like are such like such great traps, is because they're the most solid. Oh, they're very solid. It's like they're sex, the least like smoke. The least like they're smoke. the best mirage. They're the because and really they are the most pleasurable, the most exotic, the most rewarding, mm -hmm. and yet they're nothing. Yeah, and yeah, nothing. I think maybe that's, that's helpful. Yeah. So, where, did you have a different answer? No, I don't have an answer. <laughs> I think uh, I think what I'd want to say here is just like, isn't like I think it's funny we we kind of let Solomon come and rebuke David. We should let David come and rebuke Solomon with like Psalm, like Psalm, yeah. is it 16? Yeah, Psalm 16, 11, mm -hmm. right? In Yahweh's presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Yeah. Like where, then if this won't satisfy me, what will? Looking not at, not at the face of the most beautiful woman or at the plate of the best steak or, you know, whatever. Right, right, it's right, right, looking right. at the face of God Yeah. in Jesus Christ. God's yes. face has been shown to us in Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians two, or Second Corinthians right. four says, like, that's that's it. That's pleasure. Like that's satisfaction. That's joy. And like, I think we believe. Then, David, what are you asking me? You're saying that my sexual desires, my hunger, my desire to be seen and respected and loved and honored. All of those I have to spiritualize and take some kind of Buddhist retreat and self-sacrifice and beat myself and no. get some lesser spiritual mythical version of this? No. No. I'm saying you are now taking the fake mythical ethereal version of it. It's smoke. What, right. What you think is the best thing. The best thing is the fake thing. Is the fake thing. <laughs> and well, we... This is jumping ahead a little bit. Yeah, it's so good though. But like what he's what he ends up saying. So what do you want me to do? Not pursue these things? What, what am I supposed to do with all these desires? What right. am I supposed to do with all this stuff? He says, well, there's nothing. Verse 24, verse 2. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his work and his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. Because apart from God, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? And so what he says is, what, what the tension we feel is like, 
well, God's with the the pers- the um the thing we believe most readily is that God's holding out on us. There's a brass dome over the sky, mm-hmm. and all that there is is this. And if I don't grind to get everything I can out of this life, it won't matter. Right. And I have to suck it, suck the marrow dry right. in order to gain anything. I got a carpe diem. I got a carpe diem because otherwise, I'm my life is pointless. Yep. And what he's pointing out is like, well, if you the more you carpe the diem, <laughs> the more your life will feel empty. Mm-hmm. And actually, the only way to enjoy sex, money, and power is to remember that those things are gifts from God. And, uh, well, so, so that's part of it. Yep. That's part of it. If you actually want to enjoy those things, you actually have to start stop looking down and start looking up. Mm-hmm. There's more to the world than what's under the sun. Right. That's at least part of the answer. Yes. That's part of the answer. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. I, and I think, uh, I mean, let's let's like keep tracing pleasure since we don't really come right. back to a lot of pleasure. Yeah. Um, how does the gospel fulfill our desire for pleasure and break the lie of pleasure? Like, I mean, does Jesus really, as our husband, bring us more sexual fulfillment? Right. Like, that's an interesting question. Well, it's an it's kind of like it feels like a profane or it a does feel like a profane question, question yeah. but there is a reason why David talks about um, the law of the Lord tasting sweeter than honey, the mm-hmm. best sweetest food that yep. and being David better has than purest gold, better than purest gold. Uh, that his house is the house he wants to live in forever. Mm-hmm. That he wants to be in the Garden of Eden again. Everything that David was able to, or Solomon, or the Kohel was able to build for himself. We have a really clear picture in scripture where God is better. Yep. Like there are Psalm 119. The Psalm 119. <laughs> yeah. uh, or all the Psalms that you 104, where like where mm-hmm. David like Psalms yes. rebuking him. Well, David was saying, No, this is good yeah. things from the Lord. It's not insignificant that Jesus is described as a husband, especially for people who are widowed mm-hmm. or never married. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's important that Jesus is described as a brother when some people in their quest for power might destroy their family members. Mm-hmm. Like there's actually... Yeah, or a friend. Or when, friend. When, 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 when you've lost all friends. Yeah, or and then God is our father, you know? Like, right, I mean, so, yeah. so then if the ta- like there's a tangibleness, there's a realness, there's a solidity. Yes. An assumed heavy-like solidity to pursuing pleasure. Yes. But um, then in what way is Jesus better than that? I think that, like, like that's like, so if that's pleasure yes. and that feels good, and, yep. but it turns out to be smoke, how is Jesus fulfilling that? Does that make sense? I want to oh, like answer that yeah, so question. I have, I have two answers. Okay. So uh, one, let me do, uh, I gotta figure. I guess the order doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, so one would be, um, and I, I wrote about this in Rewire Your Heart. Okay. Uh, and it is that we have been wired a certain way by God to have desires and affections that we long to be fulfilled, and those things are good. They were God given. Like the reason why Eve wanted to eat that fruit in the garden was because she was given hunger by God. The reason she knew it was beautiful because she was get her eyes were given the ability to perceive aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Those were given to her by God. That was before the fall. So yeah. we have desires in our hearts that God gave us and sin comes along, twists those desires and offers us smoke and says, this will satisfy you. And we gulp it down and it doesn't satisfy those innate desires. Mm-hmm. What, what, we're, what I'm saying here is you have desires from God 
that can only be fulfilled by God. You have solid desires mm -hmm. that can't go away, and they can only be fulfilled by the solid one who never goes away. Our desire for wealth Mm -hmm. isn't wrong in one sense. Our desire for sex isn't wrong in one sense. Our desire for power is not wrong in one sense. God has given us innate desire. Our hunger is not wrong, or a desire to taste good food is mm -hmm. not wrong in one sense, because God has designed us to want to be intimate. He's designed us to see beautiful things yes. and see beautiful people. He's designed our taste buds to experience beautiful food and listen to beautiful music. But those things are not found under the sun. No, they all were made to be different receptors for us to be infinitely and multifacetedly pleased by God himself. God gave us eyes that long to see beauty, and Kohelet says they're never full. He gave us eyes to see that because he wants to be the one to satisfy that sight. Hmm. He gave us a hunger that no matter the most expensive meal we could eat in the most exotic place, it never satisfies it, and it always comes back because he wants to satiate us. Like, and what that, and that, I've heard it phrased like the organ. So like the tongue is an organ. Mm -hmm. Like our bodies are organs that experience the hevel of the world. Yeah. The thing that seems solid, our body's an organ that, that like senses them, experiences them, yeah. and they all turn out to be smoke. Um, on the earth, everything looks solid, but it turns out to be smoke. Yes. When we use it with the organ of our body. Mm -hmm. But those desires were meant to actually be exercised by I would like the organ of faith. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fascinating that when Paul talks about faith, or the author of Hebrews talks about yes. faith, he says faith is the substance. Yes, faith is substance. You is think this, faith is smoke. You think faith is nothing. It's <laughs> invisible. And mad. It's like, it's just blind. It's nothing. But it's substantive. But it's substantive. <laughs> and it gains for you the most solid thing possible eternal life in christ yeah. a life that doesn't end that where you eat good food and drink good wine and have perfect intimacy with each other and with the lord like yes when you have you reign over angels like you don't you know you'll that, rule over that's angels? the desire for power that yeah. is purely met in god's plan for us so that's my first answer is that we have solid desires that are only able to be solidly met by god okay my other answer is in the gospel Okay. So Jesus enters into our cycle of entropy. He dies, right? And we think that's the terminal end. Everything he gained for himself in his righteous living only ended in death. So we thought. Mm -hmm. But when he rose to life, he rose in a new glorified body in which he is still living and reigning perfectly and will forever, right? Mm -hmm. he, he left his body of smoke to enter into a body of substance, mm -hmm. right? Right. He, we think that this physical world is the real one. We this think, is the smoke world. We're right. living in the smoke world right now. And when Jesus comes and remakes everything, he will remake it into the substance of what he is now. Mm. What we, the, This world and these bodies, Paul in 1 Corinthians calls a seed. Yeah. And when it's planted, it grows into something far bigger and different. Yeah. And like, that's the real substantive thing. And so... I think about uh, Chronicles of Narnia. Okay, yeah. The, the last battle. Okay. When they enter through the door into Narnia's version of heaven. Mm -hmm. And the, it's this beautiful place that's bigger and brighter and more solid than anything they experienced before. And they trust that, like, um, because they trust Naslan. Mm -hmm. And there's a certain group of people, or is this in the great divorce? I you can't keep, remember. Just keep going. But there's this, this moment when these people that don't want, don't trust that 
Aslan's kingdom is the better kingdom experience it and they step on the grass that's great divorce it's great divorce yeah it hurts them yes because the, gra- the grass is like sharp needles and shards of glass it's too it's solid too solid for their smoky bodies to they've handle. so consumed smoke in their lifetime that when they finally meet the real thing mm-hmm. it's painful to yes. them and so what faith does the, the, like this, in that same world like it starts to rain and it's like bullets shooting from the sky. Whoa. It's just too solid. And like the people part. who live in this world in the great divorce, the, the like the citizens of heaven, it's like a refreshing dew. Mm. But everyone else has to take shelter from a barrage of bullets because it's too substantive. It's too real. Which is why Paul says that we are preparing for ourselves an eternal weight of glory. Mm. What's coming is not some cloud in the sky. It is this heavy, real final, substantive, immutable thing. We live in a world of smoke. Yeah. God wants to bring us to a world of solidity. Yes. And the way that he does that is he sends into a world of smoke his incarnate, solid son, Mm. Jesus. Yeah. And in the world of smoke, he does something that seems smoke-like. He dies just like everybody else. But because death itself is smoke. And he is solid. <laughs> he rises from the smoke. He passes yeah. through it like He smoke. passes through oh, it. That's so good. Ascends to the heavens and then promise all who have faith, all who have substance, who all who trust the In solidity, the substance of who he is, past the smoke of the world. Will experience that on the last day. Yes, that is good. And so to circle back around, then the only way to enjoy the pleasures of this world is to know that they are not your ultimate satisfaction. Like if you go to a meal being like, yeah, this is it. That's what's up. I'm going to finally, you know, like, no, right. you're not going to ever be able to enjoy it. If, if that's what you think will bring you pleasure. If you think that the best sex of your life with the hottest woman, uh, you know, in the world, if you're a guy, you know, like, uh, yeah. if, like that will be what ultimately satisfies your libido. It won't. Mm-hmm. But like, if you can enter into those things, or knowing, even the the, yeah, the, yeah. the the Christian version of it, okay. if you can just get a, a wife oh, or a husband, yes. and have just yes. normal Bible sex, yes, that I'll be totally satisfied. You won't be. You won't be if that's where you think it ends, right? Yeah. But if you know that you're a pilgrim and that this is temporary and that life is heavy and vapor, mm-hmm. right? The good news of Ecclesiastes is that you actually can circle back around with your eye to faith in the world of substance, you're able to come back into a world of smoke and enjoy it like no one else can. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you're able to create a tiny garden of Eden yeah. and make good things happen in a world of smoke. That's fascinating because like, yeah, it's like everybody else is going to taste the best steak in the world and it's not going to satisfy them. Right. But the first person who's placed their trust in Jesus can eat the best steak in the world and it be the best steak in the world. That's right. It can be its own end. It can yep. be beautiful to taste, beautiful to enjoy, and you're never hungry for it again because right. you're satisfied in something else. What is, uh, uh, let's see it, screw tape letters, C.S. Mm-hmm. Lewis again. He uh, talk. he's training this demon. Yes. And he says, never allow your patience, the yep. person he's tormenting, to enjoy something for the sake of itself. Right. Always, always make sure that it's for some other end. That's right. He can't read a book just to enjoy it. Nope. He must do it to appear smart. smarter. Mm-hmm. He can't just eat something. It has to be to prove that he's a cultured type of man. That's right. And what the Ecclesiastes is promising is that a gift that God will give people who acknowledge the solidity above the sun is that that thing itself will be finally enjoyable. That's right. You don't have to strive after the wind anymore. That's good news. 
It's great news. How far we're a ways into this podcast. We are a ways into this podcast. We're gonna have to wrap it up here, I think. Yeah. And yeah. so that's but that's good. We're at the very end of chapter two. Yep. And we we'll start didn't with really talk about toil work, but everything we said applies to yep. the workaholic just oh, as much as definitely. it does to the Yeah, how come as much as I work it doesn't satisfy? Right. Yeah, it's the same kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, absolutely right. And so um yeah, we'll end here and we'll jump back in with chapter three next time mm-hmm. and talk about our broken relationship with time, so which is going to be good. So, guys, thank you so much for listening and, uh, you know, live with your eyes to the world of substance. And leave us a really solid digital <laughs> review uh, on your iTunes favorite or your favorite app. podcast oh app. That would be excellent. That's vanity, Seth. Hevel, <laughs> Heveline. Hevel, Heveline. Oh, my all gosh. Hevelines. All right. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit that gives all its resources like this podcast away for free because of supporters like you. To help Spoken Gospel in our mission to speak the gospel out of every corner of scripture and view all our free resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.